as you see there, unity. We're going to be speaking about unity here this morning. Without compromising truth. I should have that in bold. Actually, in about 88 typesetting size. It should be unity. Without compromising truth. But we're going to be talking about unity. Let's pray and just ask the Lord to really speak to us this morning. Father, as I prayed earlier, Lord, I just want to make sure that you, well, we know you hear us all the time, Lord, but speak to us through your word, Lord. Help us understand. Help us to, and those listening online too, who help us to really hear your words on unity on, on, in this world that we live in today, what your desire is for us, Lord, as the body of Christ. We want to hear from you, Father, because my best ideas and thoughts you don't want to hear. We just want to hear from you, Lord. We're asking Jesus' name. Amen. So unity. Unity, like I said, this isn't something I wanted to teach about. I, I mean, there's, there's too many opportunities for um, bad stuff to go on when you're speaking about unity, especially in today's world and some of the craziness that's going on and speaking to other Christian friends of mine. But uh, during these weeks of the year between Christmas and the, and the New Year, there's always this space. Everyone knows it. You know, there's that strange space between Christmas and New Year's. It's like, it, like, it's almost like, is time beginning to move again? Like, it's just a strange place. And as a, as a church, too, like, there's always this space between Christmas, it, it, you know, between the cr last Christmas teaching and whatever book of the Bible that's going to be continued or taught through in the new year. So it's kind of this open to a thematic teaching that the Lord leads on our heart. And quite often for me, it's been those, those difficult yet really important themes like tithing or, or walking in habitual sin. or and A nice easy one would have been, um, Lord, just the doctrine of salvation. Can I teach about that, Lord? You know, but this year the Lord just laid unity on my heart for some reason. For the last couple of months, I've just been, the Lord's been impressing upon me how much it means to him, the importance of the unity of the body of Christ, the bride, and, and, and the church itself. So I've, I've been thinking and praying about unity in the church, and um, probably, when I was thinking about it, probably because of my own journey, with it, that desire to be truly unified with my own brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, and, and wanting to make sure that every single brother and sister that I, that I know, that I'm unified with them, that I'm loving them, that I'm listening to them, that I'm giving them, I'm not putting one above the other, that I'm loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then also looking at how to remove any blocks that might be there between that unity. Blocks between the unity of, of, of us, of a brother and sister, or brothers in Christ. And are these blocks, are they, are they in my own self? Are they in my own sin, my own pride, my own self-righteous thinking? My own sin? The Lord, you know, th are there things that the, that the Lord wants to remove and circumcise from my heart? for the sake of real unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are, are, there's, are there blocks 
to complete unity with any brothers and sisters in the church are, are any of them are legitimate blocks. You know, where, where there's, it's because of their sin or their wrongful ways or, or their unbiblical doctrines or their refusal to look at any of these things. Those things that, that the Lord probably agrees with my refusal to fellowship really closely with them. So even looking beyond the, that, the whole lack of unity between individuals, you know, one person to another, I've been, I've been looking at the lack of unity between various Christian churches. All, you know, churches that call themselves Christian churches. Because there seems to be coming a day, you can feel it, that we really, really, really do need to be unified as the bride worldwide. And I'm not talking one world religion. I'm not talking all that, because I, I bring that up with some uh, brothers in Christ, and they're like, hey, hey, man, you got to... And I go, look, remember, not at the expense of without compromising truth. So I'm not talking about, hey, you believe that, whatever. Hey, let's all just worship together. No, because we're worshiping different gods. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the bride of Christ unifying. And let's be honest, it's some of that spiritual pride that seeps in are things like this, you know, this denomination, that denomination, this style of teaching, that style of teaching, this thought or leaning, and that thought or leaning, or this, or you pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib or post-millennial or Calvinistic or grace-filled, legalistic. Like there's so many little areas there that the churches, the body of Christ splits on. And I think you, you know what I'm, I'm talking about. I think you've all seen it and experienced it, and you see it out there in the world. So you can see why I didn't really want to teach about this. So I actually prayed, and I said, Lord, Lord, I, I don't know anything. I don't know what to say. I don't know what the answers are. I don't know what the answers are to the full and complete unity of the bride. I don't know, Lord. Help me. And it was really... I mean, he just reminded me. He said, you don't need to know. It's all in my word. Just look. All you have to do is look my word, and you'll, I have, I've, I've told you everything that you need to do. And in every situation, it's all there. You don't have to use your own best thinking. And I guess because of the days that we're living in right now, too, I really felt the importance of the unity of the bride in the, in the church, especially here in my, in my own community. I want to be able to re remove any differences that are not essential and focus on the main things. Loving one another. The essential doctrines of our faith, the, the rest of it is only anything apart from the, the essential doc doctrines of the faith are, are my own thoughts, my own best thinking, my own opinions, my own desires. And they're getting in the way. They get in the way. So this brings up a hugely important thing to begin. Like I said, when, when I say unity, I mean unity, yes, but never, ever, ever, ever at the expense of truth. The truth of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the divine trinity, God, the inspired, inerrant word of God is our foundation. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, which always supersedes 
any law of man contrary to it or any traditions or decisions of any pastor on the planet earth. Also, the personage of Jesus Christ, who he is, is a, a game changer. He's our, our divine God, our Savior, the second person of the Godhead. And also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a believer. The doctrine of salvation from sin that's laid out in Scripture. And right off the bat, God doesn't call us to fellowship those who believe contrary to those truths found in His Word. That's why the Word is so important. It's so important to say, well, what does God say in here? But God doesn't want unity in the church. And he, at the expense of anything other than those essentials. He wants unity in the church. And, and in fact, he will have it because he prayed for it. And he prophesied it. So it's coming. And I want to be a part of answering Jesus prayer for unity. I want to do what I can to die to my own best thinking and, and unify with others through what God says is essential. Jesus prayed, prayed about it for us in chapter 17 of, of the gospel according to John. Jesus, basically the whole chapter there. Jesus has come to the near end of his earthly ministry and he's with his disciples and he's been encouraging them about the task at hand and he's been warning them about things to come and he's been reminding them that they must be con that he must be condemned and crucified and that they would be scattered and he's being honest with them that these things won't be easy that their their faith is going to be tested and their faith will be strengthened. And in the midst of this speech to them, he comes to the, the purpose for all of this, for the whole thing. All they could see was the pending doom, the, the crucifixion, the fear that Jesus said that, he, that they would be tested and they would be, they would be scattered. They were scared. This doesn't sound good, Lord. But the crucifixion occurred for a glorious, eternal purpose purpose and it seems so difficult and almost hopeless but Jesus begins to speak to them about about this purpose through praying to his father in John chapter 17 he prays that the disciples would be protected and sanctified by his word and that they would be one and that they would be unified just as Jesus is unified with the father and then he prays for us he prays for us here today. He prays, he prays, you can think of this as a, as a really personal prayer. He's praying it to you. I look at it that. He's praying to Rob. He's going, Rob, it's, it's, it's a personal prayer. that <laughs> I think this is so great that our Lord and Savior, a couple of thousand years ago on earth, was praying for me. Let me read John chapter 7, verses 20 through 26. It says, I do not pray for these alone, he's speaking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through, your, through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Unbelievable. That it, I was saying in the first service, that, that, I, I, that's the greatest prayer that anyone's ever prayed for me, prayed for me. That my, my Lord prayed for me. He wants me to be unified with all of you guys so that we can be unified with him and, and be with him and his Father in their glory. And we're going to look closely at what he's talking about there. The unity of, of the bride. And that's it. What he was just praying there. It's, it's simply to be with God. That's the end of that's the, the end game. To be with the Father, be with Jesus, be with the Holy Spirit. For us to be one, then one with them. It's important here that we see too in verse 22, which I don't have the numbers there, the verses, but Jesus is saying that we need some of this glory so that we can become one and unified. He said, Father, give them the glory that we had so that they can be unified and one. So this is, this is huge. Later we'll look at, at that aspect of, of, of what glory is, that, that unification part that Jesus has given us. He's, it's a gift he's given us. Basically, it's the fruit of the Spirit in us, which is really the ability to be holy people to be selfless, to, to truly love people that we couldn't have before we re- received Jesus. It was impossible. You try as hard as you want. You cannot love the way you're capable of loving now if you're in Christ. Before the work he accomplished on the cross, it was impossible. And it takes dying to self to be unified with people. So it's all, a big word is there, it's all about relationship. I remember years ago, when I, when I was a young, as a Christian, I remember my wife telling me, because I do believe that a lot of women are, are a little more in tune to some of the, the more deeper things of, of our faith earlier on. I was, I was more in... Uh, you know, more into the, you know, the factual, scriptural things. And, I, but I remember her years ago saying, Rob, it's all about relationship. And I remember initially sort of going, it's all, about, it's all about relationship. The whole plan of redemption, the history of mankind and all its pitfalls and failings and highs and lows and the prophecies from the beginning of time all of God's judgments, the arrival of the Son of God on earth, his perfect life, his death and resurrection, everything, absolutely everything that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have endured to remove our sin out of the way from between us and them, it has all been so that we could all be together. 
period. I mean, the Lord says that the Lord, the world, the world says, and some of my unbelieving friends say, oh, come on. So that, that's your spiritual belief? That's your, your religion, what you believe? That's ridiculous. And I, say, I said to them, oh, really, is it? Is it ridiculous? Isn't that what life is all about when you really pare it all down? Jesus is the author of life. He's the guy who created the whole idea of it. And when you pare it all down, all we really have is each other. That's it. All the other stuff is just stuff. It's just there. You get rid of it all, and all we have is one another. And sometimes that stuff just gets in the way. It gets in the way of us just being together. Like Jesus talked about the glory he had with his Father before the foundations of the earth. They had one another. Our stuff sometimes just gets in the way. Well, all we really have is one another and our Lord. And, and to enjoy one another. Isn't that what Jesus said earlier in his chapter? In John chapter 7, verse 5, like I, I just said, he said, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So what were they doing? Just sitting around twiddling their thumbs? Before we were around, the Father and the Son, they had each other, and they weren't bored. They, they, were, they were completely fulfilled and joyful and loving one another. In fact, they had such a glorious time together that they were, they were so, so elated and fulfilled and happy and joyous. But this is, this is where it ties into our topic of unity. For the Father and the Son to experience this glory together, for them to experience it together, they had to be first unified. They had to be completely unified, which they always have been. So this is why Jesus is praying for our unity with one another in him and in the Father so that we can experience what they experience. That's the gift. They want to share it with us. And the only things that should exclude me from fellowship with and unity with someone who professes to be a brother or sister in Christ are the things that God has laid out in his word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Sorry, that was the next one. <laughs> I'm still getting used to these. I never used them before. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So that's pretty straightforward. The key thing there, though, is a brother or sister who calls themselves a brother or sister in the Lord but refuses to be honest with their sin and is willingly and willfully just continuing in their sins, the Lord's saying, don't hang out with them. Don't hang out with them condoning what they do. Encourage them to look at their sin and repent and pray for them. And you don't have to be mean to them, but just leave them to themselves and pray that they'll come to their senses. Pray that they'll come to me. But yeah, don't, don't hang out with them. Say, hey, man, you know, you're, you're a brother in Christ. You, listen, you, you got to 
repent. Can I pray for you or, or, or whatever? It's just I can't condone this, brother or sister. And by the way, the Lord tells us in the verse just prior to that one that we act completely differently with an unbeliever. We don't do the same thing. We don't go, hey, you know, I hate it when I see these preachers on the street, you know, yelling, telling everyone that they're a piece of trash. Just read your word, people. Because these people are lost and they need the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord says to speak differently with the unbelieving world. That's why we're here in the world, to share the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not here to judge them. So that's an obvious area where, where unity is broken between our brother and sister in Christ when they're willingly just not willing to look at anything and they're just walking in, in sin. So in other areas of Scripture that tell us to not have fellowship, it takes a little more discernment in, in someone's character. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, 16a, it says, to beware of false prophets, and we will know them by their fruit. And you know this, if, if, we, if you spend time, if you spend time, weeks, months, years with someone, we'll see what their life is really all about, what it's made of. It's pretty, really, it's pretty easy to see. And also in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy of those that can be, seem godly, but they deny its power. You can see that they really don't believe in the power of God, the power of prayer. They don't really believe that God is, is very real and answers prayers. He's not a very conscious, real part of their life, but they sure play the role of a spiritual person really good. We've all seen those people too. I, I've been there. I've been that person. Most of us, some, a lot of us in our journey have been there. We might be there right now. In 1 John chapter 4, says John tells us to test the spirits. He says to test them by their profession of Jesus Christ. What people say about Jesus Christ tells you a lot about them. If you just ask someone, who's Jesus Christ to you? If they call themselves a brother or sister in Christ, it tells you a lot about them. Because I've talked to people in the street, sharing the gospel in the street, and they go, oh, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Who's Jesus Christ to you? And then, then they say some random thing, you know, and I go, hey, you know that Jesus is God. God come to be with us, put on flesh. And so, and of course, the, the essential doctrines that someone holds and believes in are, are, are the most important thing. And, and, and some of, of the ones that I mentioned earlier are, are obviously important, the divinity of Christ, the Godhead, the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of salvation. Those are all essential. And there's many more Scriptures that we could, we could look at, but I, I believe it's clear that the Lord's speaking about individuals, individuals and their hearts, their sincerity, their truth, their beliefs, their faith. And he's not at that point in time, he's not talking about institutions or denominations. He's talking about people. That guy, that gal, the, how, what they believe. In other words, what, what I mean is someone could have, because I've seen this, and I've been that guy, someone could have complete faith and fellowship with Jesus Christ, yet still sit in a church that I believe has some questionable issues. They're just 
still working it out. They're, they're, they're spending time in the Word, and, they're, and they're, just, they're working it out. The Lord might be drawing them, but they're still working out. So do I reject this brother because he's sitting in that church? Of course not. You see that sometimes, though. But of course not. If he's a brother, he's a brother in Christ, for goodness sakes. Does that mean that I'm necessarily embracing the doctrines of the church that he's sitting in? Of course not. Sometimes we forget God sees way more than we do. He's not going, I saw you standing two feet away from that guy who's... It's like our Lord knows. He sees the hearts of men. Do I think that God's not able to decipher truth between men's hearts and then maybe speak to this brother and, and, and lead him maybe out of that church? Because he, he reads the hearts of men. And I've heard a lot of things like this in, in recent years too. I was in a, I won't mention the names of it, but a really questionable church now, a church that I, I just go, oh my goodness, for a few years, and the Lord was speaking to me, speaking to me. If a brother, some of the things I've, I've heard, though, out there, when he's speaking to other Christians, you know, and I know you guys have heard this, too, like, if, if a brother even shares the stage, like in a, in a conference or something, with, with a questionable preacher, or let's say even an actual false prophet, should I reject that brother and not have fellowship with him? It comes back to my, my comment. Does God not know the hearts of men? Do I know that God didn't, do I know for sure that God didn't put him there to preach the truth because he loves those that are listening and he loves the other brother who's gone astray? Do I know what God is doing? Do I know what he's doing through these brothers, bringing them into enemy territory maybe? I don't know. I don't know, so I don't judge. I just go, I... That's a scary thought to be the judge and jury. I don't want to be that. So I trust and fellowship with a brother when, I, when I'm talking to him on his heart, on his fruit, on his life, on his profession of faith, on who he is or who she is. If I believe he's a brother, then I leave it to the Lord's instructions. Romans chapter 14, verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. That's God's job. My job is to fellowship or to not fellowship in the areas that the Lord says don't fellowship. But other than that, he's saying, Hey, man, love your brother. Maybe you guys can talk together about what went on at that conference and what that other guy said and whatnot, but don't judge him because just because he was there. You know, you've heard people say, I saw a picture of so-and-so with so-and-so. That's it. I'm never listening to a teaching of his again. Oh, my goodness. What kind of a God do you think we serve? This, he's got these blinders. Oh, my goodness. I saw you on the same block. Actually, you live in the same neighborhood. He reads the hearts of men. We have no idea why people are wherever they are in life. They could be in process or they could be there doing God's work. And, and I think there he's speaking about individuals, but God reads the hearts of individuals for sure. But churches, their beliefs and their doctrines, they're much more clear and plain. They're, they're, they're often in, in writing. on there. You can see our profession of faith on our website. This is what we believe. So you can know that before you enter the door. 
So we won't even go into full detail with all this because I believe that if a church stands on some of those basic foundational doctrines that we laid out earlier, then they may have a difference in style or a difference in methods or a different thing in how they dress or the music that they listen to, but they're obviously just still another part of the body of Christ. And it's clear that I see too much of that. I don't know. I won't get there, but it's clear in Scripture that the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is a, it's an invisible thing. We're an invisible body. The church isn't invisible. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, this is the process of the invisible church. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's a saved person who believes that. And then Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. People won't be able to see it. They'll experience it in your life and the fruit of your life, but they're not going to go like, Oh, did you see that? He's filled with the Holy Spirit now. You can't, I can't know the body of Christ right here right now. Hopefully we're all part of the body of Christ, but maybe not. I don't know. The Lord knows. It's an invisible thing. It's, it's an invisible process in the spirit, not in the flesh. The body of Christ, and I've said this a million times, but it's an invisible body worldwide. So there's people sitting in congregations of multiple denominations and even questionable gatherings around the world that are part of the body of Christ. Some of them are figuring out that maybe they shouldn't be there. Everyone's in this living process. And the Lord, the Father is drawing the body of Christ. And they're all out there. Different places. Some of them not even in churches. Some in so the big question that should stop your fellowship in a given church is the church's profession of faith. What do they believe? What do they say they believe? Of course, if they believe contrary to some of those essentials that we mentioned, you don't have to be mean, but just don't, don't fellowship there. But we can't be looking at individuals in a certain congregation that raises a congregation that raises concern and with a, just a clean sweep, just right off the whole congregation. Can't hang out with any of those people. We don't know. If we did that, we would not be able to fellowship with any congregation anywhere. We would have to leave this church because wolves will come in. And they'll come in more to the more grounded in the word that, that a church is. There's going to be more wolves in there. That's what the enemy's going to do. So we can't just leave every, every church. The wolves will be there. Remember Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15... He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He didn't say, when you see them in your congregation, leave. He said, they will be known by their fruit. But he doesn't say that gives you cause to leave the whole congregation. He basically says, don't worry. Guard for them. Stick to the truth. Stick to the word. They'll show themselves, and they will eventually, actually in the word, he says they will eventually 
be thrown in the fire. He's basically saying, I'll deal with them. You stick close to me, stick close to the word, sit close to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't worry about those guys. Just don't listen to them. So this is the point of this all is, like I said, is relationship. It's the point of it all. This is the bottom line instruction from our Lord. If a church is sound in biblical doctrine, then fellowship there. If a church is, has questionable biblical doctrine, then don't fellowship there. If someone professes to be a brother or sister in Christ and is walking with the Lord, practicing righteousness, then fellowship with them. If they profess to be a brother or sister in the Lord, yet walk intentionally in sin, not willing to look at it, then leave them with the Lord to, to work that out. You can only counsel someone who, who wants to grow, who wants to grow in the Lord. So every believer needs to see where the line where the line is drawn. If they want to be a part of Jesus, which I do, if you want to be a part of Jesus fulfilling his prayer for our unity, at what point do I say, no, sorry, Lord, I, I can't fellowship with this brother or sister or this congregation? I think the scriptures are pretty clear, and we've seen them, that tells me really clearly like who, who to walk away from, who to fellowship with, what church, and but then it doesn't stop there. That's not what fellowship is just all about, is just making sure you're not hanging out with the bad people. Fellowship isn't just deciding to stay at a church or to be around another believer. It's actually dying to self to solve some of the problems that people use to leave the church. People leave churches because they're not willing to do the work that the Lord wants to do in them. It's actually dying to self to solve those problems. The Lord asks us to bear with one another and to forgive one another and to love one another. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Imagine if that was true and completely fulfilled in our lives here. We would be completely unified with everyone. But we don't. I'm not there. I don't know if you... Does anyone feel like they're there yet? I'm not there yet, but I, I'm in process, and I'm asking the Lord, help me, Lord. Help me be, be more like you. Help me to embrace this person that I sort of don't stop and talk to or... How, I'm not there, and, I, and, I, and I'm not ready. are you ready to not fellowship with someone because you've done everything that you can do? I've done everything I can, Lord. It's all on them now. I can't fellowship with them. Jesus said to love one another as he loved us, to lay down our lives for one another. And there are many, 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 many verses, as you know, about us loving one another, but for our purpose here today, we can say and know that this, this kind of selfless, Giving love draws people together and, and it unifies them. Just like God desires for his bride. When you love people that way, you, you, you get unified. You, you, you know, sometimes it only takes a moment too. When you, when you pour into someone and you talk 
transparently about stuff and you love one another and you, you share your heart or, your, or you confess or, or whatever, you, you get closer. And then the next time you come to church, you see that same person that you had that, even that couple of minutes with where you prayed or confessed over something. And there's something, you're, you're drawn a little bit more to that person and that person. I think in heaven, we're going we're gonna like to be like that with everyone, with, with, with the whole body, just drawn to one another. And remember that this unity that the Father has with the Son and the Holy Spirit, he says it brings much glory so that we could together enjoy the glory that Jesus has prepared for us with him and his Father. So the, as you know, like with, with glory, and we've seen it in, in scriptures, there's kind of a shiny or a shining kind of a physical manifestation of this glory as we see in scriptures. You know, when Moses wanted to see God face to face, but he couldn't look directly upon him because it, it would kill him. He couldn't handle the, the vision of, of God. And we saw when Moses and Elijah met Jesus on the mount there and, and he transfigured in the mountain, the, a form of their glory. And also glory really for God is, is simply God's, his preeminence, his omnipotence. He's omnipresent, omniscient. That whole part of himself that he is, is is his glorious self. But this glory that we're, we're talking about too is also their characteristics. Their, their personality, you could say. What, what they're like. Like what, what is Jesus really like as a person when he was here in, in eternity? Like what's he like? They're filled with, I believe that they're, they're filled with, with the infinite amounts of the greatest characteristics that anyone could ever have. Loving Infinitely loving, kind, encouraging, gentle, selfless, unique. The whole list goes on. All those fruits of the Spirit. In an infinite capacity. Have you ever been around? I was thinking about this. Have you ever been around someone? And I know you have, and, and people will come to your mind. Have you ever been around someone who you just, you just like being around? You find out that they're coming over. You're like, oh, great. They're coming around. You just, you just like being around them. It just feels so great to be around them because they're easy to be with and they make you feel good about yourself and you're a little bit enthralled with them and they're just these people that you, you just like being around them. And to think about it, because when Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 5 earlier, when he said, and now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was? I believe he's basically saying, Father, remember how great a time we had before we made this world? Let's do it again, Father. This is, it was so glorious. And they did this by how intensely and completely they love one another. And they want us to enjoy it with them to enjoy that incredible time together with them. Because remember, Jesus said to his father, a little further down in the chapter, in John chapter 17, verse 22, he said, and the glory which you gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. So he's gone to the cross for us to remove that, the barrier of sin, to make it possible to give us some of that glory, that righteous character. So think about it. God went to this infinite 
extreme degree to bring us all together with him. So do you think that unity might be a big desire for him? I think so. Do you think that some of the the petty differences in churches or the gray areas that cannot be fully known by man yet still divide churches? Do you think that that might hurt him or bother him? Jesus prayed for our unity, but not at the expense of truth. So with respect to what was taken, I wasn't going to say this, but with respect to what has taken place today in our society, the whole COVID-19 thing, and the shutting down of many facets of our communities, our look at the unity of the church ties in perfectly here. And we, and we must stay together. You've, you've heard many times, and so have I, from people angry at us for staying open, even Christians, and people saying to me, the church is not a building. And rightly so. It's a living entity that needs all of its parts working in harmony with one another. I know it's not a building. We're a living body. We cannot be too angry with the world that, that just doesn't understand this. They don't understand what they do understand. And I, and I wasn't going to say this earlier too, but I'll, I'll say I, years ago, I spent 10 years in AA. They do understand a support group like AA or other support groups because they see the fruit of it. And they say, those guys, they must stay together because it saves lives. Well, the church is a hospital for sick people. This is a hospital for sick people. Spiritual sickness that expresses itself in many ways. Addictions and depression and broken relationships and financial abuse and fears of all sorts. That's why we come here. We don't come here because we're tiptoe dancing and wearing white clothes and all holy rollers. So just think of it, just like a member of AA who's been sober for years and years, they may be able to stay sober without meetings for quite some time because they, they have a foundation, they have experience, they've built up strength. But what about the new person? If, if the meetings stop, where do they go? Well, the world knows that they plummet. Our society doesn't understand that, yes, a Christian, someone who's been founded in their faith for years, may be okay for a time without the body gathering, closing the church, because they have a foundation with Christ. They know how to stay connected with the Lord. But new, new people, broken people in the world, those going through trials, people who are struggling with a multitude of problems and sins, and, and, and they're lost, we need to be there for them in the same way as AA is there for the alcoholic, and I dare say more so. We need to stay together to serve, love, support, care, pray, and be there for them. For the spiritual sick people in the world that causes a myriad of stuff, not just one addiction, we're talking everything that this planet bad has to offer. We want to be here so they don't plummet and they find somewhere to go. And I'm sorry, but we're, we're about as essential as it gets. And essential 
which they don't realize, essential for this municipality, for this community, for this country, for this world. So essential. They just don't see it. And like I said, before we finish here, if I can have the worship team come up. Like I said, this unity, it's all about relationship. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't received forgiveness for your sins from him, and please, 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 please reach out to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you and give you life. Because he will. He'll forgive you. He'll give you life. He'll clean your conscience, which no psychiatrist or diet could ever do. He'll clean your conscience clean. And then read the word. Learn more about him. Spend time with other believers and stay with a Bible-believing church. And you can do this at any time, anywhere. But if you make that decision today, then talk to me or talk to someone here in this church because we want to help you. We want to answer some questions. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. Let's pray. If you don't mind, I'm sure the Lord doesn't mind, I'm going to pray while I make my way over to the piano. Lord, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word today, Lord. Thank you for praying for us, Jesus, and making it so clear for us. All we need to do is look in your word and it answers for us. What would you like us to do, Lord? What would you like us to do, Father? Where would you like us to go? Who would you like us to fellowship with? Where do you want me to die to myself, Lord? Help me to be like Jesus. Help me to be unified with the body of Christ. Thank you that you made it clear for us. We don't have to figure this out on our own, Lord. We just have to spend time with you and read your word. Thank you, Lord. And thank you. The only reason why we can do that is because of you and your, your worthiness, Lord. 